Welcome to the ESG Matters Podcast. I am your host, Ahmad Gomez. And if you like this content, please like, share, and subscribe to the ESG Matters Podcast on all podcast services. Thank you so much for your time, and let's get on with the show. Welcome to the ESG Matters Podcast. I am your host, Ahmad Gumis, and today I have Pamela Gordon, Managing Director of PGS Consults at Presidio Graduate School. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you, Ahmad. Great to be here. Thank you so much. I think a great thing that we can do to start off this conversation would be to provide a quick introduction about yourself and what do you do at PGS Consults? Absolutely. PGS Consults is the consulting arm within Presidio Graduate School, which since 2003 has been an MBA school focusing very strongly on sustainability. In fact, sustainability and social justice is at the heart of every single graduate course we teach. And my job is to engage our graduates, professors, alumni in consulting to actual organizations on, yes, ESG. And that's great. A while ago, there was an article on Green Biz called Inside the War for Talent. And I just want to read a portion of that article that I think is really germane to what we're talking about here. PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, announced a head-turning $12 billion plan to create 100,000 new net jobs in ESG, environmental social governance, by 2026, a 36% bump over the firm's current employee base of 284,000 people. We're seeing here, not just with PwC, but across the board, is that so many organizations, both on the private, public sector, nonprofit sector, are all looking for sustainability educated professionals. Oftentimes, because when I started out in the field, there were so few of us, there were so few ways to get educated, to understand how you can bring value in the real world to companies and businesses alike. So I would really like to understand from you, Pamela, what are you seeing um, in your position as far as the request from uh, the real world clients that you all have for students? Are you seeing certain types of consulting being offered or requested? Are you seeing more people interested in certain types of uh, fields within ESG. So I'm just curious to have that conversation with you. Absolutely. First of all, just to reinforce what you're saying about the demand for ESG talent now, instead of war, I'd rather call it mining talent because it's not that there's an impossible number of jobs. It's just that more professionals need to think of themselves as ESG talent. So by way of making the case for that, I'll just say that at our school, we have a course called uh, Management Consulting Skills for Sustainability Professionals. And it's for our students, graduates, really anyone who looks to the consulting industry as being a great way to leverage their ESG skills. And conversely, if they're already in consulting, but they don't yet have the ESG skills, then it helps them in that way. It is extremely 
popular. In fact, our students asked for shadowing opportunities. So as I said, we're actually consulting to clients and our graduates, professors, and and some students. And so we have a, a student shadowing program where they can actually sit in on our internal meetings discussing our client strategies and and options. So taken together, the course and the shadowing opportunity, it's a fabulous way to get a good start in ESG consulting. And when students are able to shadow, are you seeing certain industries really looking or mining for the talent there? Or is it just across the board that you see companies from all sectors interested in participating in this process? It's across the board. My evolution was from the electronics industry, where you and I actually met originally a month years ago. But right now, we're seeing demand for ESG consulting from not only electronics and gamings and the winery industry, consumer goods, even literally the mining industry, also transportation, clean tech, clothing, it's all over the board. And I think that's really important for people to understand that as environmental social governance evolves and changes, when I started out, uh, there wasn't a big need for people who are what we would consider ESG professionals. At first, it was really focused on people who had a lot of the business skills, whether it be marketing, communications, finance, engineering backgrounds, who just so happened to be interested in sustainability and did it almost as an addition to their full-time work. And I think I was part of the transition where people started to say, we need to have people who understand a myriad of topics called sustainability or CSR at the time. And people like me said, okay, this is something I'm interested in. And we were able to leverage education, internships, and um, other types of co-op experiences to get the required experience that a lot of companies now see more of a value and a premium in. And I think what you are doing is so important because you're helping bridge the connection between what people see as their need from an education perspective. I think so many people understand that they can now go nearly everywhere or anywhere uh, for a sustainability course or sustainability degree, but they still lack the real-world experience. And I think that's really important for people to have that real-world experience to be able to provide the best value and really push the, the field forward. When we think about real-world experience, what have been some of the real-world experiences that you've heard from your students that they really enjoyed or really got the most out of. Right. I mean, just to back up for a second before I answer that, you're absolutely right that so many people in supply chain and quality and various odd and sundry places of an organization, facilities, got saddled with sustainability management. 
And you said that some of them were drawn to it. Some of them weren't, weren't even drawn to it. They were just said, okay, you're now going to be our sustainability champion. So there's an example of where you have business expertise, but not sustainability or ESG expertise. On the other hand, some of our students come to us with environmental undergraduate degrees and they're, or geology or life sciences, and they're passionate about the environment, social equity, but they don't yet have the business skills. So that's why they come to us for a master's in business administration or master's in public administration. So yes, they're clamoring. They know that to succeed in their careers, they have to have both deep sustainability and deep business experience. And then from the client or the business side. How has business worked with your organization? Have they started to request certain types of trainings or education that they need for people entering the field or junior level or even mid-career level folks need to have? I, I ask that because selfishly, there are times when I've seen requirements or uh, vacancy announcements for positions that sometimes seem as if the person that they, the perfect person they want doesn't exist. But understanding that you're never going to get 100% of what you want, I wonder what is the 70 to 80% that they settle for that you're seeing them sort of have that conversation with you or feedback from students when they do go on interviews and things of that nature. Right. Yeah. When our students go on interviews for jobs, and uh, fortunately, the jobs are ample, as we've been discussing, they're asked by their prospective employers, not only do they have their MBA and they have a good sense of business and sustainability in general, but some specific skills. For example, do they know how to measure greenhouse gas? Can they make an accounting inventory there? Do they know the SASB and GRI standards for reporting of their sustainability data? Do they have a materiality assessment knowledge of, of how to go about running that? And, and do they also sometimes in the health and safety area, do they understand ISO 14001 for environment, ISO 45001 for health and safety. So these are the, the nuts and bolts skills that employers want in addition to good management skills and good general sustainability skills. And it's interesting you should mention those skill sets and those, I would say, almost hard skills that ESG professionals are being required to have because it speaks to the evolution of the field where five, 10 years ago, people didn't necessarily need you or even thought that you should have that type of background when it comes to, do you know about the sustainable development goals, SASB, reporting metrics and matrices and things of that nature. So I'm glad to understand and hear that there is that maturation of the field happening. I do also wonder when you talk to businesses that look to hire, are they focused on making sure that there's, if they have to sort of weigh the benefit of one client, one potential employee to another, are they really focused much more on having an MBA or having 
a sustainability experience without an MBA. I ask that selfishly because I don't have an MBA. And I always, you know, felt that tension that some people would just accept you without any sustainability experience in a sustainability role if you had an MBA. So I'm just curious about that myself. Sure. I mean, naturally, employers want it all. But, you know, we have, for example, certificates, three core certificates in sustainability management. It could be in supply chain focus or leadership focus or marketing focus, et cetera. So it doesn't have to be an MP- MBA or MPA per se, but uh, they definitely want someone with good background. And they sometimes will couple an existing manager who's been tasked with environment with a consultancy. And there's two different ways I've seen that happen these years. One is more traditional consulting, where a consultant is engaged to take on a, let's say, materiality assessment, life cycle assessment, carbon accounting, et cetera. And the other one, which is coming up, and this reminds me of your point earlier about how some people who don't have sustainability backgrounds are being tasked with sustainability in organizations, and that is consultants behind the scenes. Uh, We have one client in the electronics industry, for example, who says, look, I'm front-facing to my management and team's I want you and your team to be behind me, to be available to give me drafts, give me insights, strategize with me. So this is a very efficient way for him to leverage some folks who do have a deep sustainability and management background while he's trying to ramp up his sustainability skills. And that is something, just so that I'm clear, as part of PGS Consults, that being able to be the sort of the the background strategic and tactical help, that's something that you all do in, in that role. Is that correct? Yes. I would say still it's more the traditional consulting that we're involved in where clients delegate entire projects to us uh, front facing to the board and CEO and all. But yes, the behind the scenes is fine too. Listen, it's whatever all of us can do to make sure that today's organizations make the very best real decisions and goal setting for sustainability and social justice. How they get there, how they get that expertise, it's a panoply of answers, but we all need to get there. There's too much at stake otherwise. To pivot a bit, we talked a lot about what a potential employee, a student can do to make themselves more attractive to potential employers. But on the flip side, what have you seen employers do that really encourage a strong relationship, onboarding experience, and work life for folks who are uh, coming into the field, who are interested, and who get hired in the sustainability role? Are there certain attributes that an employer You know, we all know right now that there is just this mining for talent across the board, regardless of industry, because the great resignation and a lot of other sort of uh, societal factors at play. How can a company stand out as a great employer for the talent that they're onboarding when it comes to sustainability? This is a question that we had. And and so we put a panel of four MBA and sustainability graduate students 
in front of an industry association. It happened to be an electronics industry association. And we put the question to the panel of students, what is attractive to you in an employer? And the room was filled with employers who need ESG talent. And the way one student put it sticks in my mind so clearly. She said, you don't, you, the prospective employer, you don't have to prove to us that you are the leader in sustainability at this moment. You just have to demonstrate to us that you're open to becoming a leader. And this turned some heads. I think some of the employers in the room had a sigh of relief that, oh, I'm not of the game just because we're not yet a leader. But it also showed them that our students are savvy with respect to how much they'll truly get to move the needle. And if they sense that this is a position in name only or for marketing, they're not interested. And that's such a great point. I know when I talk to folks in the field, that is a major concern of everyone, that you're in a position where you're really just greenwashing or you're in a position where someone has said, we need this because we need to look good in front of our clients, but we really don't have the capacity or the interest in changing. There's a lot of value in being in an organization that is not at the top of the of any of the rankings and ratings when it comes to any ESG field, but there is a value in being someplace where they understand that this is some place that they want to go or the top is not unattainable for them. There is also an interesting dynamic when you do go to places that are well-known for sustainability that oftentimes you're put into a box and you're only supposed to do whatever they've hired you for. So there isn't a lot of growth because they already have a system that works. So they really don't want to change it or improve because they're already seeing the value and the benefits of a system in play. So that's that's a really interesting conversation. And I'm glad that you all had that panel uh, with students for employers to to listen to because it is it's something that I think they they really need to hear and understand. Another question I think people would really be interested to understand would be how long is a consulting effort with you all? How long is an engagement and what does a typical engagement look like? Sure. The length of an engagement would be from one month. One time a company came to us in May, quick, quick, we need help in in releasing our first GHG report by the end of the month. So that's unusual. Uh, And some of them go on for a year and a half, two years. And a good example of the latter is the whole progression. Let's say that there's a company that's either starting out or they're behind the curve with ESG at this moment. So then the progression of projects we would do over a year and a half would be, for example, starting with a materiality assessment. What do 360 degrees of our stakeholders want us to do with respect to social justice and sustainability? And then setting goals, considering the ROI of, of, of meeting those goals, uh, coming up with carbon measurement, training teams in sustainability according to what they need to know, um, releasing a, a CSR or a ESG report uh, only after they've actually accomplished something, and then helping them through the uh, 
the playbook of truly becoming leaders in sustainability in their industry. So throw in maybe an ISO 14001 or ISO 45001 management system. So you can see that you've got a year and a half or two years of an engagement that truly will bring that client to the apex of its industry. I think, and I really do like that long-term vision and play that you described. That is something most companies who are entering into the space or they're being required to do things because they're a supplier for a larger company that has really major uh, sustainability goals. I think it's a really strong and doable path forward for, for those uh, businesses. When you think about the business profile of a businesses that work with Presidio and that you have worked with as a, in the consulting field, are there certain types of businesses that have done the sort of the groundwork internally to really move the, move the ball forward? And I, I ask that because there are sometimes organizations where Everyone who is involved in sustainability, they've drunk the Kool-Aid, they agree, they want everything done, but maybe they haven't really done a great job in communicating the value to C-suite or to the decision makers in the company. So I'm just curious, have you seen companies that have, what have companies done as far as laying the groundwork that have really paid off in dividends. Right. I would say that the companies who lay the groundwork in environment, social equity, perhaps DEI, they have some charitable contributions. They move along at a certain pace, sometimes not strategically bound, but disjointed a bit. And then something happens, an event. So the event could be their major investor saying, look, if you don't have a really aggressive set of ESG goals in six months, we're out of here. Or it could be a corporate customer who says, we need to make sure that the life cycle of your product is better than the other options we have. Or it's a competitor and the CEO reads the paper one day seeing that the CEO, their staunchest competitor has just released some ESG goals. So something has to happen and believe me, it does happen. And that's when the upper management says, you know, we need to be serious about this. And that is when we would tend to be brought in, say, help us to connect the dots for what we've done, but put us on a path quickly to ESG leadership in our industry. One thing that I think I, people really need to understand there is that you lay the groundwork and when the opportunity strikes, you take it and you leverage that opportunity. You leverage the attention you have when senior leadership cares about it for whatever reason. To your point, I think there's so much value in showing how an external similarly sized organization has done this great job and it's gotten a lot of publicity. They've gotten rankings and ratings, uh, placing them higher than than said company. That has really, I've noticed that as well, that has really been a major driver of change when senior leadership understands that externally people value this. It's not just the people internally telling them that there is this value that they, this perceived value that they may not understand. I was just going to say that Sometimes a consulting firm isn't really needed. I, I don't want to say that that is the answer. 
Um, there, there's a San Francisco-based apparel company where the ESG leader happens to be a graduate of Presidio Graduate School. And I met with him thinking that there'd be a lot of ways that PGS consults could help. But you know, at the end of the day, we only came up with one thing. He really used a systems perspective to look at the entire company's ecosystem. It's a company involved in uh, the circular economy, actually. And it was so impressive. So I'm not saying that using a consulting firm is the only option. Absolutely not. If there's a really strong ESG leader, then you could be set. And I think that also speaks to the value of uh, PGS Consults is that you helped create the educational experience that allowed for such a leader to emerge, that they were placed in an organization and they were able to think dynamically, address concerns and issues, and work collaboratively with you in a way that you all were able to come up with a conclusion that the best solution was this other solution and not necessarily consulting. And I think that really speaks to how you're training the next generation of leaders to think critically and objectively about concerns or issues that they're facing in their current position and in future positions as well. So I think that's a really big thing that you all should probably you know, tip your hat off too. Yeah, I was just going to make one more point is that much like the quality movement from decades ago, where it became clear that having a senior leader of quality is not enough, that quality has to be understood, trained, and implemented throughout the organization by every single person. Sustainability is the same. We can't say, oh, we've hired a VP of sustainability or a chief sustainability officer, we're set. No, that is barely the beginning. Sustainability choices are being made by employees, suppliers, community members, board members, constantly every day. So we all need to have a sustainability lens for making our decisions, or it's just going to be uh, a piece of tape over a really enormous problem. So I, I want people to think not that getting an ESG leader is the end. They have to realize that like quality, it has to be embedded into every single job. 100% agree with you. And Pamela, if someone wants to get a hold of you and talk about uh, the value of uh, PGS and what you all can can do, What's a great way for them to contact you? They can email partnerships at presidio, P-R-E-S-I-D-I-O dot E-D-U. Thanks. Well, thank you, Pamela, so much for being a guest on ESG Matters Podcast. And I hope you all who listen have a great rest of your day. And I hope you learned something from this episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to the ESG Matters podcast. I am your host, Amat Gomez, signing off. If you liked what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe to ESG Matters podcast across all podcast providers. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me at Amat Gomez on LinkedIn. And I look forward to hearing back from you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Mm-hmm.